Chapter Twelve Life in the Clearings versus the Bush. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jeanie Burns. Ah, human hearts are strangely cast. Time softens grief and pain. Like reeds that shiver in the blast, they bend to rise again. But she in silence bowed her head, to none her sorrow would impart. Earth's faithful arms enclose the dead, and hide for aye her broken heart. While the steamboat is leaving Coburg in the distance, and through the hours of night and darkness holds on her course to Toronto, I will relate another true but mournful history from the romance of real life that was told to me during my residence in this part of the country. One morning our manservant, James N., came to me to request the loan of one of the horses to attend a funeral. M. was absent on business at Toronto, and the horses and the man's time were both greatly needed to prepare the land for the full crop of wheat. I demurred. James looked anxious and disappointed, and the loan of the horse was at length granted, but not without a strict injunction that he should return to his work directly when the funeral was over. He did not come back until late that evening. I had just finished my tea and was nursing my wrath at his staying out the whole day, when the door of the room, we had but one, and that was shared in common with the servants, opened, and the delinquent at last appeared. He hung up the new English saddle, and sat down before the blazing hearth without speaking a word. "'What detained you so long, James? You ought to have had half an acre of land at least ploughed to-day.' "'Very true, mistress. As nae fault o' mine. I had mistaken the hour of the funeral dinner come in a far afternoon, and I came a while as soon as it was over.' "'Was it any relation of yours?' "'Nay, not just a friend, an old acquaintance, but nay a mine and kin.' I never felt so sad in my life as I done this day. I have seen the clouds piled on money I held, and never felt the sot tear in my een, but poor Jeanie, poor lass. She was a sad sight to see them thrown down upon her. My curiosity was excited. I pushed the tea-things from me, and told Belle, my maid, to give James his supper. Uh, nothing for me to-night, Belle. I cannot eat my thoughts. I will run that poor lass. Say young, say bunny, and a few months ago absent as a lark, and I knew a cloud in the earth. Hoot, we manna dee when the time comes, but somehow I cannot think she ought to have gone so soon. Who is Jeanie Burns? Tell me, James, something about her. In compliance with my request, the man gave me the following story. I wish I could convey it in his own words, but though I perfectly understand the Scotch dialect, when I hear it spoken, I could not write it in its charming simplicity. That honest, truthful brevity, which is so characteristic of this noble people. The smooth tones of the Blarney may flatter our vanity, and please us for the moment, but who places any confidence in those by whom it is employed? We know that it is only uttered to cajole and deceive, and when the novelty wears off, the repetition awakens indignation and disgust. But who mistrusts the blunt, straightforward speech of the land of Burns? 
For good or ill, it strikes home to the heart. Jeanie Burns was the daughter of a respectable shoemaker, who gained a comfortable living by his trade in a small town of Ayrshire. Her father, like herself, was an only child, and followed the same vocation, and wrought under the same roof that his father had done before him. The elder Burns had met with many reverses, and now, helpless and blind, was entirely dependent upon the charity of his son. Honest Jock had not married until late in life, that he might more comfortably provide for the wants of his aged parents. His mother had been dead for some years. She was a good, pious woman, and Jock quaintly affirmed that it had pleased the Lord to provide a better inheritance for his dear and old mother than his arms could win, proud and happy as he would have been to have supported her when she was nay longer able to work for him. Jock's filial love was repaid at last. Chance threw in his way a caney young lass, bithe and good and bonny, and with a hantle of silver. They were united, and Jeanie was the sole fruit of the marriage. But Jeanie proved a host in herself, and grew up the best-natured, the prettiest, and the most industrious girl in the village, and was a general favourite with young and old. She helped her mother in the house, bound shoes for her father, and attended to all the wants of her dear old grandfather, Saunders Burns, who was so much attached to his little housemaid that he was never happy when she was absent. Happiness, however, is not a flower of long growth in this world. It requires the dew and sunlight of heaven to nourish it, and it soon withers, removed from its native skies. The cholera visited the remote village. It smote the strong man in the pride of his strength, and the matron in the beauty of her prime, while it spared the helpless and the aged, the infant of a few days, and the patriarch of many years. Both Jeanie's parents fell victims to the fatal disease, and the old blind Saunders and the young Jeanie were left to fight alone in a hard battle with poverty and grief. The truly deserving are never entirely forsaken. God may afflict them with many trials, but he watches over them still, and often provides for their wants in a manner truly miraculous. Sympathizing friends gathered round the orphan girl in her hour of need, and obtained for her sufficient employment to enable her to support her old grandfather and herself, and provide for them the common necessaries of life. Jeanie was an excellent seamstress, and what between making waistcoats and trousers for the tailors, and binding shoes for the shoemakers, a business that she thoroughly understood, she soon had her little hired room neatly furnished, and her grandfather as clean and spruce as ever. When she led him into the kirk of a Sabbath morning, all the neighbours greeted the dutiful daughter with an approving smile, and the old man looked so serene and happy that Jeanie was fully repaid for her labours of love. Her industry and piety often formed the theme of conversation to the young lads of the village. "'What a good wife Jeanie Burns will make!' cried one. "'Aye,' said another. "'He need to complain till Fortin, who had the luck to get like a her. "'And she's say bunny would really Robinson add, with a sigh. "'I wouldn't have covered the wealth of the hair world and she were mine.' Willie Robertson was a fine, active young man, who bore an excellent character, and his comrades thought it very likely that Willie was to be the fortunate man. 
Robertson was the son of a farmer in the neighborhood. He had no land of his own, and he was the youngest of a very large family. From a boy he had assisted his father in working the farm for their common maintenance, but after he took to looking at Jeanie Burns at Kirk, instead of minding his prayers, he began to wish that he had a homestead of his own, which he could ask Jeanie and her grandfather to share. He made his wishes known to his father. The old man was prudent. A marriage with Jeanie Burns offered no advantages in a pecuniary view, but the girl was a good, honest girl of whom any man might be proud. He had himself married for love, and had enjoyed great comfort in his wife. Would it be lad? he said. I can't give you a share of the farm. It's all small for the money mouths it has to feed. I had laid by a hunter a siller of a rainy day, and this I meant to give you with the farm for yourself, in the woods of Canada. There's plenty of room there, and industry brings its own reward. If Jada Bird lose you as weel as a dear mither to me, she would be fain to follow you there. Willie grasped his father's hand, for he was too much elated to speak, and he ran away to tell his tale of love to the girl of his heart. Jeanie had long loved Robertson in secret, and they were not long in settling the matter. They forgot, in their first moments of joy, that old Saunders had to be consulted, for they had determined to take the old man with them. But here an obstacle occurred, of which they had not dreamed. Old age is selfish, and Saunders obstinately refused to comply with their wishes. The grave that held the remains of his wife and son was dearer to him than all the comforts promised to him by the impatient lovers in that far foreign land. Jeanie wept, but Saunders, deaf and blind, neither heard nor saw her grief, and like a dutiful child she breathed no complaint to him, but promised to remain with him until his head rested on the same pillow with the dead. This was a sore and great trial to Willie Robertson, but he consoled himself for the disappointment with the reflection that Saunders, in the course of nature, could not live long, and that he would go and prepare a place for his Jean, and have everything ready for her reception against the old man died. I was a cousin of Willie's, continued James, by the mither's side, and he persuaded me to go into Canada. We set sail on the first of May, and there was a time to chop a small fellow for a fall crop. Willie had marred the world's gear the night, for his father had provided him with sufficient funds to purchase a good lot of wild land, which he did in the township of M, and I was to work with him on shares. We were among the first settlers in that place, and we found the work before us rough and hard to our heart's content. Willie, however, had a strong motive for exertion, and never did man work harder than he did that first year on this bush farm, for the love of Jeanne Burns. We built a comfortable log house of which we were assisted by the few neighbors we had, otherwise lent a hand, inclinating ten acres we had chopped for fall crop. All this time Willie kept our correspondence with Jeanne, and he used to talk to me of her coming out and his future plans every night when our work was done. If I nae love it and respect the girl myself, I certainly got uncle tired of the subject. We had just put in our first crop of wheat when a letter came for Jeanie bringing us news of her grandfather's death. Well, I kin the word that would have spake to me when he closed the letter. Jamie, the old man's gone at last, and God forgive me, I feel too glad stone to greet. 
Jin is willing to come whenever I hate the means to bring her out. And Hutman, I'm just thinking that she winna have to wait long. Gil Workman were getting high wages just then, and Willie left the care of the place to me, and hired for three months with old Squire Jones in the next township. Willie was an uncommon good teamster, and he could put his hand to any kind of work, and when his term of service expired, he sent Jeannie forty dollars to pay her passage out, which he hoped would not delay longer than the spring. He got an answer for a genie, full of love and gratitude, but she thought that our voyage might be delayed until the fall. The good woman whom she had lodged with since her parents had died had just lost her husband, and she was in a bad state of health, and she begged Jeanie to bite with her until her daughter could leave her service in Edinburgh and come to take charge of the house. The person had been a kind of steadfast friend to Jeanie in all her troubles, and had helped her to nurse the old man in his dying illness. I'm sure this was just like Jeanie to act as she did. She had all her life looked more for the comforts of others than her aunt. Robertson was an angry man when he got that letter, and he said, if, if that was the law Jeanie Burns had for him, to prefer an old wife's comfort when there was nothing to her to her betrothed husband, he might wear away as long as he pleased, and he would never fake himself to make screen or a pen to her again. I could have think the man was in earnest, and I remonstrated with him for his folly and injustice. This ended in a sharp quarrel between us, and I left him, to gang in his gate, and went to live with my uncle, who kept the smithy in the village. After a while, we heard that Willie Robertson was married to a Canadian woman, neither young nor good-looking, and very much as inferior in every way, but she had a good lot of land in the rear of his farm. Of course, I thought it was a broken half-whipper gene, and I wondered what she would spare at the marriage. It was early in June, and the Canadian woods were the first flush of green, and how green and lightsome they may be in the spring dress when Jeanie Burns landed in Canada. She travelled her lane up the country, wondering why Willie was not in Montreal to meet her, as he had promised in the last letter he sent her. It was late in the afternoon when the steamboat brought her to Korborg, and without waiting to ask many questions respecting him, she hired a man and car to take her and her luggage to M. The road through the bush was very heavy, and it was night before they reached Robinson's clearing. With some difficulty, the driver found his way among the charred logs to the cabin door. Hearing the sound of wheels, the wife, a coarse, ill-dressed slattern, came out to spear what she could bring strangers to sicken out of the way place at that late hour. Poor Jeanie! I could well imagine the flutter in her heart when she speared the coarse wife if her ain Willie Robinson was at him. Yes, answered the woman gruffly. But he is not afraid of the fellow yet. Your man can keep him up yonder, tending to the blazing logs. While well, Celia was striving to look at the direction which the woman pointed out, and could nay see through the tears that blinded her ear, the driver jumped down Frey the cart and asked the burlass where she should leave her trunks, as it was getting late and he must be off. You need a bring the Christian here, quoth Mrs. Robinson. Hey, no room in my house for strangers and their luggage. "'Your house!' gasped Jeanie, catching her arm. "'Did you not tell me that he lived here? And "'Wherever Willie Robinson buys, Jeanie Burns should be a welcome guest. "'Tell him!' She continued trembling our hour, for she told me afterwards that she was something in the woman's look and tone that made the cold chills run in her heart, that an old friend free Scotland had just come off a lang journey to see him. 
You may spire for yourself, said the woman angrily. My husband is not coming done the clearing. The word husband was scarcely out of her mouth. Then poor Jeanie fell as in debt across the doorstair. The driver lifted up the unfortunate girl, carried her into the cabin, and placed her in a chair, regardless of the opposition of Mrs. Robertson, whose jealousy was now fairly aroused, and she declared that the bored hussy should not enter her doors. It was a long time before the driver succeeded in bringing Jeanie to herself, and she had only just unclosed her inn when the Willie came in. Wife, he said, whose cart is standing at the door? And what do these people want here? You can best, cried the angry woman. That creature has no acquaintance of mine, and if she has suffered to remain here, I will quit the house. Forgive me, good woman, for having unwittingly offended you, said Jeanie, rising. But merciful father, how said I kidding that Willie Robinson, me Aunt Willie, and a wife. Oh, Willie, she cried, covering her face in her hands to hide her agony that was in her heart. I hae come a long way, and I'm weary to see you, and you might have spared me the grief, the barren shame of this. Farewell, Willie Robinson, you'd never mere trouble, nor he will me presence, but this cruel deed of yours has broken me heart. She went to her lane weeping, and he had near the courage to detain her, or speak e'er a word of comfort in this air distress, or attempt to give any account of this strange conduct. Yet if I kid him right, there must have been a sorrowful moment in his life. Jane was a distant connection of my aunt's, and she found us out that night on the return to the village, and told us of her grief. My aunt was a kind, good woman, and was indignant of the treatment she had received, and loved and cherished her as she had been her aunt Ben. For two whole weeks she kept her bed, and was sae ill that the doctor despaired her life. And when she did come among us again, the rose had faded off her cheek, and a light fray her sweet blue eye. And she spake in a low, subdued voice, but she never accused him of being the cause of her grief. One day she called me aside and said, Jamie, you could know how I loved and trusted him, and obeyed his in wish to come out to this wearisome country to be his wife. But tis an hour now. She passed in her small hands tidy over her breast to keep doing the swelling of her heart. Jamie, I can that is for all the best. I love him too well. I can only creature such a perishing thing on earth. But I thought that he would be so glad and so proud to see his St. Jeanie so soon. But, oh, I will, I manna think of that. What I would just say is this. And she took a small packet from her breast, and when such tears streamed down her pale cheeks, he sent me forty dollars to bring me or its seat to him. God bless him for that. I can he worked hard to earn it, for he loved me then. I was near idle during his absence. I had saved enough to bury my dear old grandfather, and to pay his expenses out, and I thought, like the guild servant in the parable, I would return Willie and his wee interest, and I had hoped to see him smile at my diligence, and come his dear bonny lassie. Jamie, I can't keep the siller. It lies like a way a lead on me heart. Take it back to him, and tell him from me that I forgive him his cruel deceit, and pray God to grant him prosperity and restore him to that peace of mind which he has robbed me forever. I did as she bade me. 
Willie Robinson looked stupefied when I delivered her message. The only remark he made when I gave him back his siller was, I man be grateful, man, how she didn't curse me. The wife came in, and he'd a water packet and slunk off. The man looked degraded in his ain sight, and said, wretched that I pitied him from my heart. When I came home, Jeanie met me at the yet. Tell me, she said, in a dowy, anxious voice, tell me, cousin Jamie, what passed between ye? Had nearly near word for me? Nothing, Jeanie. The man is lost to himself. To a who once wished him will, he is now worth a decent body's thought. She sighed sadly, and I saw that her heart craved after some word or token from him. She said, Nimmer, but pale and sorrowful, the very gust of her heart myself. She went back into the house. For that hour she never breathed the name to any of us, but we all kin that was our love for him that was wearing out her life. The grief that has no voice, like the canker worm, lies nearest the heart. Poor Jean. She held out during the summer, but when the fire came, she just withered away like a flower, nipped in the early frost, and this day we laid her on the earth. After the funerals are at the mourners again, I stood beside her grave, thinking all the days of my boyhood, when she and I were happy weans, and used to put the gowns together in the leathery hills of dear old Scotland. And I tried in vain to understand the mysterious providence of God that had stricken her, who seemed so good and pure, and spared the like of me, who was more deserving of his wrath, when I heard a deep groan, and I saw Willie Robinson standing near me beside the grave. "'You may as well spare your grief now,' said I, for I felt towards him and rejoiced at the wearies at rest. "'It was I who killed her.' said he, and the thought will haunt me to my last day. Did she remember me on her deathbed? Her thoughts were only kin by him, Willie, who reads the secrets of men's hearts. Her end was peace, and the Saviour's blessed name was the last sound of her lips. If ever a wound died a broken heart, here she lies. Ah, oh, Jeanie, he cried, my ain darling Jeanie, my blessed lammy, I was not worthy of your love. My heart, too, is breaking. To bring you back, and mar, I would gladly lay me down and die. And he flung himself upon the fresh piled sods and greeted like a child. When he grew more calm, we had a long conversation about the past, and truly, I think that the man was near in his right senses when he married young wife. At any rate, he is near long for this world. He has fretted the flesh off his bands, and afore many months or o'er his head will lie as low in Georginie Barnes. My Native Land My native land, my native land, How many tender ties, Connected with thy distant strand, Call forth my heavy sighs. The rugged rock, the mountain stream, The hoary pine-tree's shade, where often in the noontide beam A happy child I played. I think of thee when early light Is trembling on the hill. I think of thee at dead of night When all is dark and still. 
I think of those whom I shall see on this fair earth no more, and wish in vain for wings to flee back to thy much-loved shore. The end of chapter 12 of Life in the Clearings versus the Bush 